we also need that inclusion uh, when we are we are at national level to say, can you include us as the trans-identifying people when we are making policies which will also affect our lives? So it's one of the things that we are trying to push within the the, the government and within the National AIDS Council and the Minister of Health, the inclusion to say, don't speak on our behalf, don't discriminate us, but actually can you involve us at national level so that we can also put our challenges on the table and see how we can work together to improve our lives. Stick your neck out. The weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation. By law, when you are born, your birth certificate must specify your gender. This dictates how you are affected by things like pensions and marriages that fall under the state's scope. Unfortunately, this law applies only if you fit into the female-male binary. Welcome to the podcast to restore your faith in humanity. Welcome to Stick Your Neck Out. When we use the word transgender, we are referring to an inclusive umbrella term that consists of binary trans people, trans men and trans women, as well as non-binary people and people who cross-dress. There are a lot of ways that transgender people can describe their identities. Understanding the words and labels people use encourages respect. Three out of five African countries have laws criminalizing homosexuality and the public expression of sexual or gender behavior that does not conform with heterosexual norms. These same laws even sometimes punish LGBTQI rights advocacy. My guest today comes from one of these countries, Zimbabwe. Welcome, Kantari alumni Gumisai Bonso. Hi, welcome everyone. Gumisai Bonso started working with HIV-positive women in prisons after being in prison for two months. Gumisai is also executive director at Zimbabwe Mighty Women of Hope support organization. She also works with sex workers in the Avenues area in Harare. Gumisai, that sounds like a lot of activities in the women empowerment field, isn't it? Yeah, it is, but you know, if we have the passion... Uh, then it's much easier. Yeah, that's right. Above all this work in the field of women empowerment, you also founded 2012 the Trans Smart Trust, an organization focused on intersex and transgender. But you managed to register it only four years later. Why was it so difficult to register it as a trust? So uh, in Zimbabwe, uh, it's very difficult to register an organization working with the uh, LGBT community. Uh, because of the social norms and uh, our government does not allow, because normally they say you are promoting homosexuality or uh, gay people and lesbians. Um, for us, it was like um, we were working with the transgender and intersex community, but in Zimbabwe, everyone is hipped under gays and lesbians. So they didn't actually understand uh, if someone is born a transgender, what does it mean? The scientific evidence, which is there, if someone is born a trans, an intersex, the scientific evidence, which is there to say it's not by choice, but that this is who that person is. So um, even the judges, even the registrar general, where you, you get your identity cards, they don't understand that. What they actually do is just they look at you. If you have a penis, then you are a man. If you have a vagina, uh, you are classified as a woman. So it was very difficult then to actually change our vision, even our objectives to say we want uh, our government to actually acknowledge that there are people in Zimbabwe who are born as transgender or intersex. I see. 
So how do you manage to register it at all? Uh, okay, so for Transmart, uh, we used the entry point of um, uh, Healthy, uh, where you were looking at HIV, and we used that as an entry point to say, uh, if we want to end HIV, we must not leave anyone behind in this fight against HIV. That's right. So we then said, uh, as uh, the transgender and intersex, it's uh, one of the key populations which are affected by HIV. Even in Zimbabwe, where we're saying uh, we have sex workers as a key population, we have men who have sex as a key population, and then we said we also have transgender and intersex as key populations, and we want it to be a stand-alone key population uh, when we were in the Ministry of Health uh, field. So this is how we then managed to get through. We used the HIV as an entry point. So Transmart Trust works to promote the identification, inclusion, integration and assimilation of human rights issues affecting intersex and transgender persons within different social groups of the larger Zimbabwean community. Exactly. How can I and our listeners too get a picture of how exactly you are doing that? Okay, so there were so many exclusion from um, um, like uh, policies which affect uh, the trans community when we look at health when we looked at um, uh, freedom of assembly, when we looked at um, uh, gender markers, when we looked at availability of uh, the things that we, we, we use as uh, transgender and intersex uh, identifying persons, when we want to go to the clinic, we also wanted safe uh, healthy care centers where we are not discriminated, where we actually go for STI screening, TB screening, HIV screening without facing any challenges. So this is what we are fighting for as a as transmart. Actually, we we are engaging with uh, leaders of the community. So we are using chiefs to say uh, we go out there in the especially in the rural areas where we we then go and meet with the chiefs. We sensitize them on um, uh, transgender and intersex community, and then they are the ones who then say no. What you are talking about, I think I have one or two people within my area who are like this. And then it's the chief and the religious leaders who then go and call those uh, families with children who are transgender or intersex, and then they bring them to us. And also we're trying to work with the National AIDS Council of Zimbabwe, uh, who are into HIV programming and coordination. And uh, we work with support groups of people living with HIV, where we actually have some of our members who are HIV positive, and we identify them, and then we start support groups. Yeah. That sounds great, and it's uh, beautiful that you are doing that. I read also somewhere that Transmart Trust manages a portfolio of projects targeting intersex and transgender persons who constitute intersex and transgender people living with HIV and albinism within urban and rural areas. Yes. Can we talk a bit about these projects? Uh, because of the, you know, the COVID uh, situation is uh, is affected everyone. Yes, right. We 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 then started by uh, sourcing uh, food food hampers for our members because they couldn't access uh, food um, allocation from the government because oh, their ID does not match the person who they are now because of the transformation they are going through. So we then sat down and say, what can we do as Transmart? And then we decided to start on projects where we are actually having our members making bags out of some materials 
and then we have another project in in the rural areas where we are actually into piggery uh we started with two pigs a female and a male and then they uh, uh gave birth to about uh four uh piglets and now those piglets are also now in their i think second month they are also going to to give birth to other piglets and the project will go on like that then what we do is we take the older pigs and then we slaughter them and then we sell the meat to butcheries within the area and to the community within the area so they will use that money now to buy food and also to share some of the meat and then they can go and um, uh, use it at home we have also started from the money that they get from selling we have started some uh, initiative of saying if you are 10 people within that uh, project you then share money uh, within yourselves after a month you then share the money and then you can send your children to school you can actually buy what you want and even uh, having money to go for medical uh, help if they want to go for sti treatment if they want to go uh, for any other treatment at the hospital now they do have the money to do that even to use money for transport to reach out to the health centers which are a bit far away that's awesome So speaking about transgender can we define the term transgender okay so when you when you are now growing up you were born a, in a, in a man's uh, body and then you start to change like the people will just actually see that you are more on the female side even the things that you do your your hormones will then be uh, more uh, on the female side and then you start to change it to transform like you now start to have um, you know a female voice you know you change your step even the things that you want you know the girls thing you don't want to play with boys you want to play with girls we have two trans women who went for testing and the doctors found out that their hormones were more to the female side and you cannot do anything about that but to take hormone drugs to actually help you to go through the transitioning period yeah but after all you are saying i can imagine that the people don't really understand what being a trans man or a trans woman means isn't it in zimbabwe you know they didn't really understand what a trans person is so what we did is we try as much as possible because normally they say it's a western thing you know you are taking the western culture and bringing it to africa to zimbabwe so what we then did is we sensitized some uh, doctors actually when we are having our workshops we bring in the doctors to talk about what it is for someone to be born a trans uh what it is to be someone to be born an intersex person and how about hormone drugs do you have those yeah in zimbabwe we do have hormone drugs which are used on other uh, like when you are having your menopause they they will prescribe you hormone drugs but when you want you 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 go and say i'm actually i actually identify as a trans can you please uh, prescribe hormone uh, drugs for me to actually go through my transitioning uh, they don't allow that yeah but it's funny because the zimbabwean authority said when it comes to trans rights particularly in terms of healthcare they do not discriminate but this is a discrimination yes in zimbabwe we don't have we are actually advocating for that but we don't have uh the trans identifying people in zimbabwe actually go to neighboring countries like south africa zambia if they want um access to that 
we don't have gender affirming uh, health care services in Zimbabwe. That's uh, that's a pity. I mean, that's sad. Yeah. Like last year we actually met with the <clears throat> with about 75 parliamentarians and MPs where we actually tabled this to them to say we do have trans identifying persons in Zimbabwe and these are their challenges and um, we would really like you to change some of the policies which makes it so difficult for the trans community to actually access affirming health care services in Zimbabwe and it's still a process because we now have the uh, national aids council on our side actually helping us to have some of these policies changed yeah yeah they have to be changed i mean hormones play often a crucial role in a transgender person's transition yes so it's a human right yeah it's a human right uh, issue and uh, but i think we are making progress because um last year we actually set in the global fund writing team and uh, i was uh, in that uh, writing team where i actually said no 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 you have been talking about sex workers they have money you have been talking about msm they have money but i think it's now time uh, you you also include the transgender community to actually also get uh, support from the global fund and we actually got a one year support grant from global fund and this year again i went on and sit in the in the writing team and we actually got a three year grant where transgender was considered to be a standalone key population. That's great. So what propelled you to do this work in the first place? Okay, so when I was at Kantari, I went to Chennai for my attachment. And when I was there, I was working with this uh, organization, uh, working with the transgender community. There's one called Nirangao and the other one is called Sahodren. They work with the transgender um, uh, community in Chennai. And um, uh, when I was there, you know, in India, the w- Indian women, they don't speak up. <laughs> yeah. But actually, when I was, when I was working in, uh, with these organizations, I managed to go and apply for um, some services for the trans women who were sex workers. Actually, afford, uh, afforded um, uh, eight of the trans women in, um, in Chennai to actually be employed by the hospitals there as cleaners. And that made me fam- uh, famous in, in Chennai. Uh, and I was actually called by one of the goddesses the big um, trans women who was regarded as a goddess in Tirupati, mm-hmm. uh, who then said, I'm giving you my blessings because you have shown that uh, you really have a passion to work and change the lives of the trans women in uh, in India. That's beautiful. And from there, you know, um, my partner also was a, was a trans woman. Okay. So uh, I then, uh, I was so attached. And uh, I, I, I really went hard to make uh, some changes. You know, most of the trans women in, in India, they depend on sex work. But I was actually trying to change that to say, okay, you, you are getting old. Sometimes you get sick and you can't go and do sex work. What else can you do as a trans woman so that you keep on um, being able to take care of yourself? That is when we started um, having this small project, we started some small projects where we went to Singapore they went and buy some bags, some uh, necklaces, and then they come back and sell. And it really worked and it changed a lot of the uh, trans women's lives. So when I come back to Zimbabwe in 2016, that's when I went to National AIDS Council and asked them, do we have trans-identifying persons in Zimbabwe, not gays or lesbians, but trans and intersex-identifying persons? 
And then we started um, with five trans women. Uh, we were coming to meet at my flat. And after that, we went on to be 15. And after two months, we were about 35 in Harare only. That's when we then decided to go out there in the rural areas and actually find out if we do have trans-identifying persons in the rural areas. And we found out there that there were so many. Hence, um, we started working with the chiefs and religious leaders to say, uh, we want to really know whether you have trans-identifying persons in your area. Great. And now we are working in five districts in Zimbabwe where we have established support groups with the help of the chiefs and the uh, religious leaders. That's great. So you said before that your uh, partner or your couple is a trans man. Yeah. How is Agda for you to be together in Zimbabwe? Yes. Um, so my partner is in, in India. I'm the one who normally goes to India every year. Okay. It's only that last year I couldn't manage because of the COVID restrictions. But we are also planning to be together if uh, the situation improves. So when when they came to Africa, we actually went to meet in uh, in Deben, South Africa, because the situation in Zimbabwe, you know, it's very difficult if you are a couple who identify as trans. Okay, I see. So he doesn't know anything about the place where you were born, where you socialized, where you played as a little kid, anything. Oh. Not yet. We were planning to do that. Um, actually, we were planning for them to come to, to Zimbabwe and um, also help with the uh, organization Transmart because they are also part of the board for Transmart. Mm. I hope it works and I wish you all the best. What does inclusion and belonging mean to you as someone driving transgender awareness? Okay, so to me, it's very important because, uh, you know, some of the issues that we are trying to fight for in Zimbabwe, Uh, like the, the, the gender marker, you know, a lot of things, you know, the trans community is left out because of the uh, identity. And uh, we also need that inclusion uh, when we are, we are at national level to say, can you include us as the trans identifying people when we are making policies which will also affect our lives? So it's one of the things that we are trying to push within the The, the government and within the National AIDS Council and the Minister of Health, the inclusion to say, don't speak on our behalf, don't discriminate us, but actually can you involve us at national level so that we can also put our challenges on the table and see how we can work together to improve our lives, especially when we are looking at uh, ending HIV by, by 2030. Yeah, that's right. What is, what is the most common stigma you have come across in your work? Oh, <laughs> okay. So I'm saying we, we face a lot of stigma, especially when you identify as a transgender and you are also HIV positive. And, uh, you know, in Zimbabwe, most of our, of the community members take time to actually come out. You know, sometimes you are forced to marry with your family. You are a trans woman and your family force you to marry a woman because they don't want the, the community to know that you are like that. Like uh, you have your family forcing you to marry because they don't want the society to know that you are a trans. There's a lot of gender-based violence which happens. You are forced to marry someone who doesn't love you, who is always uh, abusing you, and you cannot go out of that um, uh, situation or that marriage because you don't want to come out uh, in the community. So it's some of the things that actually give a lot of stress to such an extent that you find 
some of the trans identifying persons committing suicide yeah that's uh, that's a big issue for most of us work is stressful in and of itself so carrying the added emotional weight of having to deny and suppress one of the most fundamental aspects of who you are, your gender identity, because it doesn't conform with society's norms regarding gender expression, I imagine is a hell of a life. Yeah. So what can we do to create a more trans-inclusive workspace? Yeah, there's a lot of work uh, which we, we, we have to do, especially looking at the situation that we have now, the COVID situation where you really need to go and get your medication and there's this total lockdown and the clinics or hospitals which are uh, trans-friendly are closed and you have to walk long distance where you meet law enforcement, police, uh, soldiers on the road who will actually uh, stop you and ask you your ID. You produce your ID. It's saying, Mr., Mr. Vikram, and you look like a lady, you have your weave, you have your dress, and then they will actually say, what is this? Are you trying to impersonate someone or are you trying to run away from someone? And then they will take you to the police station and start to interrogate you and even abuse you. Some of our members have been abused during the lockdown by the police and the soldiers to say, we want to correct you. You are saying you are a woman, but you are a man. Let us show you that you are a woman or let us show you that you are a man and they end up being abused sexually. Yeah. Oh my God. It's, it's really scary being a transgender in Zimbabwe. Yes. So what changes do you think are needed in society to make it possible for trans people to leave their identity comfortably? So there's a lot of sensitization which we really need to do uh, targeting the various ministries within the government targeting the policymakers, targeting the health care providers to actually say, this is who we are. We cannot say we, we, we don't have the trans-identifying people. And you need to differentiate between a trans, an intersex, a gay person, or a lesbian person. This is the entry point that we are using to say, we really need to train doctors who will stand by us to say, no, 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 this is not by choice, but It's something which you cannot do anything about. And uh, as much as you don't want to acknowledge it, but these people are there within the society and they also need their rights to be respected, rights to education, rights to, to shelter, rights to food, rights to health. So we really have a long way to go. There's a lot of reaching out which we, we, we actually have to do and sensitize the policymakers and the chiefs and uh, the society at large. Kumisai, as I said in the introduction, you were a participant in the 2015 Kantari Leadership Training Course. Yeah. At the end of the course, you presented your dream speech in which uh, you shared your plans for social change for prisoners who are HIV positive. The project was called Safe Life. Now you are working with transgender. What happened with this idea of helping HIV positive prisoners? Okay, so uh, I'm still doing that. I'm still doing that. And um, as much as I'm now concentrating on the transgender uh, and intersex community, I have um, one of the inmates who came out in uh, 2014, who is actually uh, running uh, Zimbabwe Mighty Women of Hope now. But uh, we still help each other here and there, where we are still going into prisons with donations. We are still going into prisons to start projects and also doing counseling sessions, especially to those who are HIV positive. 
But I think since 20, 2020, 2019, we have not been able to go into prisons because of the COVID restrictions. So what we are normally doing now is just to send in donations of food because there's no food in the prison. And um, actually to give out like uh, jerseys and blankets to some of our members who are in prison, especially those who are HIV positive and are also mentally challenged. But these days we are not allowed to go in inside the prison. And for the project that I started at Kantari, the Save Life project, uh, when I came back to Zimbabwe and I tried to start uh, doing the project, there was a lot of resistance from the prison officers to say, we cannot give you inmates for such a long time because we wanted to make those uh, kids which would carry uh, people from their home to hospitals. Uh, especially in the rural areas. But uh, to my surprise, you know what? Now, that um, thing which I wanted to make with the inmates, I found out that there was someone who took the project and is now making those uh, kids using that, those bikes. And um, uh, it's all over town now. You can, you can actually see those things here. Ah, oh, great. But uh, for me, uh, I was so hurt because that was going to be a project which was going to save lives and uh, actually give the inmates something to do while they were still inside and also to try and uh, have them mix with uh, other inmates who would have finished serving their sentence and also giving the opportunity for the inmates to actually come out and uh, see their families. And um, no, it didn't happen like that. Yeah, but still, somebody just started to do the same project and somehow this safe life idea is there. So your idea was to change society's mindsets about HIV-positive people, mostly. Are we talking here about the same challenges we talked about, that HIV-positive people are as stigmatized as LGBTQI? Um, yes, the, uh, HIV-positive people are still being stigmatized uh, in Zimbabwe, especially from the people that we think they are the ones who are supposed to help us as uh, HIV-positive people. Like, uh, take an example of myself. I'm now 50 years old. It has been 20 years now um, living with HIV. And sometimes when I contribute something, um, when we go out for workshops, I make a contribution. Or when I, I don't agree with uh, what the Minister of Health is saying, like giving us expired ARVs and telling me that it's okay to take them because they've been extended, their lifespan has been extended. And then I say, no, I'm not going to take it. You'll find that people will say, ah, no, don't, don't mind this one. You know, she has been taking ARVs for the past 20 years. You know, the mind, the brains, they are full of ARVs, so don't listen to what she's saying. Oh. It, it, it hurts so much to say at this age and time, you still find people who, de, who stigmatize HIV-positive people. And, you know, with the side effects, you are changed from this type of ARV to another type of ARV. And with my age, you know, my system is getting old. Sometimes it doesn't work for me. Like uh, last year, they switched us from Tenolam E to DTG, the new drug that we are now taking in Zimbabwe. It didn't uh, get well with me. And I started having these side effects, a lot of side effects. And when I went back to the clinic where I, I take my medication and even wrote an email to the Minister of Health to say, the drug that you introduced is causing this, this on me. 
they didn't believe me until I had to go to see a doctor at Parenyatwa, remove my clothes, <sighs> and showed them that these are the side effects that I'm talking about. That is when they said, okay, we can switch you back to the, the medication that you were taking, the Tenolam E. But it took me a, about a month to convince the nurses and the doctors to say, can you please switch me off? Because my tummy was getting big. I was getting this uneven distribution of fat. I was getting these dark marks on my back. And um, there was a lot of pain in my, my, my feet. You know, a lot of things were happening. So, and actually like this time, we are talking about the, the COVID vaccination. I'm scared. Yes, of course. I, I have a lot of fear to say if I take this vaccination and I have all these sort of side effects which was happening on me, and also like I'm someone who is going through my menopause period, what will happen to me? You know, no one is listening to us as the aging people living with HIV. So I can imagine living with HIV, uh, it's not really a nice thing in Zimbabwe. It's not. You were also in prison. Yes. I said also in the in the very beginning. Can we talk about why you end up there? What happened? Yeah, so I was working with an organization um where I actually got the job through uh someone, you know, I I, I just have to say this. I was doing sex work mm -hmm. and I, I I was going out with the the director of a certain organization who then uh gave me a position in the company. And when that uh, director died, you know, he has given me uh, some offices to use. He has given me a kitchen where I was running a takeaway like a restaurant. Okay, yeah. And um, uh, one of the board members was a woman who also wanted to, to be in a relationship with that director. But he was refusing because he was going out with me. Oh, so. so when the director then died, they then said, um, they just started saying you were supposed to pay rent, you were supposed to do this, you owe us money, and then um, you, 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 you actually made sure that your relatives benefited from the loans that uh, were given out by the company. So they created a lot, a lot of stories. And the, the woman now, because uh, she was linked to these CIOs within the government, they actually went to the police station where they were their relatives and they, they just said, can you go and arrest this woman? Uh, she owes the company about 165 US dollars. And then I refused to pay the money. But the, the major street, And the prosecutor, they were told what to do on me. So they said, if you don't pay, we are going to lock you up. And then I said, no, go ahead. You can lock me up. That is how I ended up in prison. Oh, this is a really, a really harsh story. And I, I, I imagine having HIV, you were marginalized also a lot. Yes, and I, I was also on TB medication. And I think they, they also arrested me just when I was coming from having lumbar punch. Uh, things were not well with me those days. I was on uh, TB medication. Uh, I was HIV positive. I just had lumbar punch. And um, there I was in prison where even in prison, the prison officers also discriminated on me. The moment I told them that I was HIV positive and I was on medication, on TB medication, to such an extent that I ended up having my own dress from home, my own plate, my own spoon, my own cup. Uh, my children had to bring me those things because no one wanted to share anything with me in prison. I, I, I don't understand why the people react like that. 
so you know in in, in zimbabwean prisons they, there's a lot of um it's overcrowded you'll find that one cell which is supposed to hold about eight people will end up with 30 people you are pegged in one cell and you know with tv you when you when you breathe the air you can actually pass it to someone i was sleeping at the toilet where there was this toilet just when we are entering the cell i was not allowed to push to where other people were i ended up my my saving uh, my time in prison sleeping near the toilet oh my god because i couldn't mix with other people because they were afraid i would pass hiv i would pass tb to them that was the worst nightmare but um i think that is what pushed me to start this support group uh, in prison where i actually went to the prison officer to say i know there are a lot of people who are not coming out here at the female prison, but they are also HIV positive because some of them have been coming to me to say, how do you manage to live and how do you manage to smell knowing that you are HIV positive? So we ended up sitting on a Saturday when we were doing, we were not doing anything and uh, actually giving them information to say, no, when you are HIV positive, it doesn't mean you are dying. You can actually go on medication and you can be like just like anyone else. So I think I had about four or five women who were HIV positive, but they were not taking medication in prison because of fear of being stigmatized. And they ended up now going to the clinic to say, when we came to prison, we were taking ARVs, but we stopped. So it actually helped other people to then come out to say, I'm HIV positive. I've been taking medication, but... I, I, I stopped when I came to prison. That's how I started the support group uh, at the Chukurubi female prison. You know, listening to your story, I don't know actually really what to say. It's amazing how you have managed to to stand up and to keep living with all these bad things that had happened in your life. So what tools or strategies have helped you to manage HIV for all these years? Okay, so I think for me, it's my children. You know, they've been the greatest pillar of my, 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 my strength. My children knows about my HIV status. They support me to such an extent that if I cannot go and collect my medication, my son, who is 23 years old, actually goes and collects my medication for me. <laughs> Even my daughter, when they, they, they are getting married, they actually tell their husband to say, my mother is HIV positive. Do you accept my mother or do you accept me uh, with my HIV positive mother? And it, it has worked so well that my son-in-laws respect me very much. And even my children's friends, they respect me very much. I think for me, that was what made me to be what I am. And also coming out, you know, coming out has worked well for me because I don't have to, to hide my medication I always talk about HIV wherever I go. I talk about HIV because I want to save someone's life who is afraid of coming out to say uh, I'm HIV positive and who are not even taking their medication, who are not even going out to get tested, but they are HIV positive. I've lost a lot of friends who would not face uh, going out to get tested and uh, get their results. Yeah. So I think that's something which has pushed me to be who I am today. 
And that's uh, that's amazing. But still, the the stigma of HIV/AIDS still burdens many. How can we help to educate the general public and also create a sex-positive environment that is engaging for minorities to welcome their HIV-positive peers? Okay, so normally what I do, I use myself as an example. You know, there was a time when I was so down, I could I was bedridden, and people actually know me. They've seen me through that stage. And now when they look at me, I'm healthy, I've reached an undetectable viral load. It's now almost 20 years. You know, people thought I was going to die in the 20, I, I think 2002. People thought I was going to die. But now it's uh, 2021. I'm healthy. If I don't talk about HIV, people will never notice that I'm HIV positive. Because I'm now mm. healthy. I, I, I live a stress-free life. I too do take my medication religiously. And this is the message that I go out with to people who are not uh, ready to come out or to, to people who are not yet ready to go and get tested. Uh, you know, I have I have no words. And um, if you could see me right now, you will see like there are some tears like uh, <laughs> going through, the, through my face. It's incredible. I'm really impressed. And, and uh, thank you for, for your words. You you are really amazing. You know what? Uh, you, know, you know what really keeps me going is to know that I'm saving someone's life by talking about my own experience. That's really what makes me going. Yeah, I think that's one of the best motivations one can have. Yeah, definitely. Kumisayu, we are uh, we all know um, June is Pride Month. So, what does this Pride Month mean to you? Oh, I'm I'm super excited. I'm really super excited. We actually got um, a vehicle from the Global Fund, which we are going to use to go into the rural rural areas and record lived in realities of the transgender and intersex persons in the rural areas this Pride Month to actually have them share their experience, especially this time um, with the COVID situation, because we have been having a lot of suicidal uh, cases coming from the rural areas, from the community. So we are actually now being able to go out. We have the Minister of Health giving us uh, traveling letters to say uh, even if there are roadblocks uh, among the highways, We can then produce that letter to say we are going to have a program in um, in this area so they will let us go. So I'm super excited that we are going to reach out to more of our members who are in the rural areas this Pride Month. That's awesome, Gumisai. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Thanks for being a source of inspiration to many. I can only wish you all the best. Thank you so much. It was nice talking to you as well. We as the transgender and intersex community, We are looking for support so that we can have our own safe space where we can meet and be just being ourselves. So, dear listeners, you've heard. If you are thinking about joining Gumisai's cause, if you are thinking to cooperate, to help with them, or you just want some more information, have a look at our show notes. There you will find everything you need to get in touch with this incredible woman. Transgender, non-binary people and people with HIV are facing a rising tide of stigma, hateful rhetoric and violence. Not only in Zimbabwe, it is time for us to join together to voice our support and defend their rights. My guest today, Gumisai Ivonso, is doing exactly that. And there we are at the end of the podcast to restore your faith in humanity. You'll find the stories of people sticking their necks out every Tuesday on Spotify, iTunes, our homepage and every other place where you get your podcast. And if you subscribe, you don't have to look out for us. We'll be coming to you. 
Dear listeners, if there is a friend, a family member, an organization or someone you know who is doing a great work in the community, someone sticking their neck out, just nominate them as a giraffe hero or tell us about them. Leave a comment, come and visit us at giraffe-hero.eu. My name is Jean-Pierre Aguiar-Durañona and I hope you join us also on our social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube. But more importantly, I hope you join us again next week. Stick your neck out. The weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation.